Father, I ask your blessing now as we go to your word. May I preach it with accuracy. May your Holy Spirit work in our hearts. May we see you clearer and love you more. Pray that you'd bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, I preached a message that emphasized the long, sometimes painful wait of God keeping his promises. I talked a little bit about some of the things that we have waited for. Uh, Some people mentioned wanting to be able to have children, or or some people mentioned my Sunday school teacher from when I was a little boy uh, said that he was adopted and waited seven years for his adoption to be made official And the the people that raised him, his adopted parents, were such a huge blessing to him that it was a joyful thing to be legally part of their family, to be their son. And he met the Lord Jesus because of their witness to him. Other people talked about waiting for a spouse to come attend church with them. One woman mentioned she waited 25 years before her husband would come to church with her. And the thrill of seeing God do a work to bring him to worship with her And so I wanted to preach that kind of message. And I talked about Zechariah, who after 400 years of God holding out this promise that there would be a king that would rescue his people, Zechariah believes that God is at work again. And I preached that kind of message because it's such a strange season and so many people are not feeling the joy of Christmas. In fact, it feels like a burden to try to force celebration. And so I wanted to offer some help for those of you who may be feeling some discouragement, some fear, maybe even some depression. And so last week, I really majored on some of the sorrow that we feel as we wait for God to keep his promises. And how we also preach a message of Jesus returning and so much of what is good and beautiful about the Christian life is in the future. And that's not to diminish the good things that we experience now, but it is to say if the things that you've hoped for and longed for are not happening in your life, and if you get the impression that perhaps they never will, I want to hold high the hope of Jesus Christ, and encourage you to be patient. And so in many ways, last week, my message was kind of permission to struggle with joy and to recognize that it is a fight to be joyful when so many things are happening that seek to rob you of your joy. So when you see the guy with jingle bells on the street corner and you hear happy tunes, you may want to punch him in the face, you know? It may not be true to where your heart is at. And if you heard that message last week and were encouraged and it felt just right, this week I want to preach a message that really is full of joy. Because what I don't want to do is lead our church in a kind of somber depression where we look forward to hope that is thousands of years away. Christians are called to be joyful in the present. And sometimes it's a struggle. Sometimes you fight to have that kind of joy. But joy is a Christian attitude that comes from the work of God in your heart and in your life. Don't confuse it with some fool that has no real reason to be joyful, just having a good time. It's different than that. And yet it's similar 
in that biblical joy is full of feasting and great music and real happiness. And so if that kind of joy seems out of reach for you, it's my prayer that this message will help you trust God for it. That at the very least, it will be something that your heart longs for, that you ask God to give you. And so Chris read the beginning of the Christmas story, and I want to take a text that is incredibly familiar. And my prayer is that even if you've heard it a thousand times, that through this text, God will again give you joy. One of the guys that influenced me a lot, D.L. Moody, used to say that he prayed that God would fill him with the Holy Spirit because what he found is that his soul regularly leaked. So he needed to be filled again and again and again. And maybe this season you feel like your joy has leaked out. And I just want to ask God to fill us again. Fill our hearts with a joy that only comes through Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bible, hopefully it's already open or use your phone or whatever it is, I want to encourage you to follow along with me and look with me again at the book of Luke. I'm in Luke chapter 2. Chris read the passage where, where Mary and Joseph, because of the decree of Caesar Augustus, go to the town of Bethlehem. There's no place for them in the inn, and God works that in his sovereignty. Then in verse 8, it says, In the same region... There were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel of the Lord said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And my first point today is that the good news of Jesus primarily is a message that you do not need to be afraid. And in the context here, the thing that was terrifying the shepherds was a reflection of God's glory through an angel. They saw holiness and they were afraid because they were not holy. They understood that in order to be even in an angel's presence, they were in real danger because of their sin. And yet the angel says to them, fear not. And we're in a season when so many people are afraid of so many things. Some people are afraid of getting sick. Some people are afraid of never seeing their loved ones as this goes on. Some of our seniors are worried about dying alone. Some of our seniors have died alone. And so there are terrible things that are happening. And there's a way to preach a message that says, God says to you, fear not, don't be afraid. You don't have a reason to be afraid. And people will take that and twist that and say, you know, you'll be, you'll be healed. You'll have the things that you want. And yet many people are finding out right now That's not always true, even for those who've placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The message of God that you do not need to be afraid is not a promise that your life will be easy. And yet, sometimes, Christians who know that become sort of hard-hearted grouches, or maybe in this season you would say grinches, Because they believe that God has called them to suffer and so they will suffer for Jesus' name and one day they will be joyful. But that's not 
That's not the Christian life. The message to you to fear not is more than your sins can be forgiven through Jesus Christ, so one day you will be with God. The message to you that you don't need to be afraid is a message that God not only forgives your sin, but is at work in you. So that no matter what happens in your life, Paul says in Romans, works for your good. Whether it's the loss of a job or a pay cut, whether it's sickness, whether it's divorce, if you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus, God loves you and He is going to work all things together for your good. So in this life, you do not need to be afraid because your greatest problem has been solved on the cross of Jesus Christ. Your sins are forgiven. Your future is secure. And everything that happens to you now is happening to make you more and more like Jesus Christ. Maybe God is using this season to fill your heart with longing so that you recognize that you need Him more and more and more. One of the pastors I really love, a guy named Charles Spurgeon, said that health is one of God's greatest gifts. And the only thing greater than health is sickness. Now he said this as a man who had horrible gout. When he experienced the inflammation that comes with gout, he said it was like being bit by an adder. His veins were on fire. He didn't say this as a healthy man. And what he meant by that was the fact that in his weakness, he learned to call out on God in a way that he never would have in health. And I don't say that lightly. I say that because my prayer for you is that your joy would not be stolen from you in a season that is difficult. So when the angel says, do not be afraid, the reason you do not need to be afraid is because there is good news of great joy that a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, has been born. And because there is a Savior, and because you have a King, everything you walk through in your life is not chance. It's not God getting even with you for your past sins. If you have already trusted in Jesus Christ... Everything that happens to you is God working his perfect will for you so that you understand more and more the depth of his steadfast and faithful love that will never turn away from doing good to you even when you're sick and alone. The angel says, fear not. And if that message grips your soul, I believe it's a foundation of joy. You do not need to be afraid of God, nor do you need to be afraid of anything that happens in this life because there is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, the Bible tells us almost nothing about these shepherds. We don't know how much they knew about the Old Testament and all of God's promises. All we know is that they had this vision and they believed what God said to them through the angel and they said, let's go see. Let's go find it. So they hear this message of fear not. 
And then the angel tells them where to go to see this Savior. They have the benefit. They don't have to just take it on the word of an angel that appeared to them. They get to go see the baby. And so he gives them not only a message of do not be afraid, but he gives them an unmistakable sign. Follow along with me in verses 12 through 16. The angel continues and and says to them, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Now again, this is one of those passages that can be so familiar. Even if you're not someone who spent a lot of time in church, you've probably seen the, 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 the Peanuts Charlie Brown Christmas special, right? Like this is the passage that for 50 years has been on network television in America. You know this. And so if you've heard these words, it might seem so familiar that you miss how odd it is and what's happening. And there are two things I want to point out about the fact that God made this particular sign to the shepherds so that they'd be able to find baby Jesus. And the first is just as simple as this. If you're going to find a baby in the middle of a city like Bethlehem, even if it's a small town... You need some helpful instructions. Like, why did God give them the sign? Well, for the same reason, when I go in to, to VG's or Kroger, I need a sign to help me find spinach. And thankfully, they give it in great big letters that spell out fresh vegetables. And so I follow the sign that says fresh vegetables, and somewhere in that area, I can find what I'm looking for. Now, if God is going to give a sign to the shepherds so that they can find one baby in the middle of a city, even if it's a smaller city like Bethlehem, it needs to be something unique enough that it'll work. And very likely, there are not two babies in Bethlehem lying in a feed trough. It works. Because if you see a baby in a feed trough, you go, that's got to be it. That's not normal. And yet I think... As practical and obvious as that is, and I think there is a level where literally God was giving them a sign so that they could find the right baby, I think it also says something spiritually to us about what God is doing in Christ Jesus. It's not just the practical, there's the baby, that must be it. It's also the fact that God, for all of his glory and majesty, and for all of his holiness, And for all of his passion for justice, God is willing to forgive guilty sinners who have broken his laws, who have functioned as enemies. And when God appears in Jesus, he's not appearing for judgment and wrath. Now you can read all through the Old Testament and find God is a God of justice. There comes a time when his patience ends. That's not only true in the Old Testament, that's true in the New Testament. 
You know, as, I, as I finish my Bible reading for the year, I'm in Revelation right now. And, and what you find is God's wrath very often is in response to prayers from suffering people. And so when God appears at times, he does appear to put an end to sin as a judge. And the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that now is the day of salvation when God is pardoning guilty sinners so that you don't need to experience his justice and wrath. And when the angel appeared to the shepherds, they got a glimpse of power and majesty and glory that scared them. And the message the angel spoke to them was there's a way out. It wasn't God is a doting grandfather that won't care about what you do with your life. It was that God in all of his holiness and all of his majesty in all of his glory that really is absolutely pure, that God has provided a savior for you, Christ the Lord. And if God appeared in all of his holiness and glory, look what happens in Moses. Moses says, God, show me your glory. And Moses says, no man can see, excuse me, God says, no man can see my face and live. And so when Jesus appears in Bethlehem, He doesn't appear with all the glory of God from heaven. That would destroy us. He appears as a little baby that literally anyone can go right up to and worship. He he does appear to Zechariah, who's a priest. You would kind of expect like religious people would be the first people to meet baby Jesus, right? Like they're the people that already have hearts to seek the Lord. But the angel appears to shepherds Maybe they're ceremonially unclean. We don't know for sure. Some people like to emphasize that a lot. But they're definitely not in the temple offering sacrifices. We don't know how spiritual these guys are. And I think the imagery of this passage tells you something that's so critical. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done in the past or what you're presently doing. If you hear the message of Jesus, you can approach him. The scripture tells us that we can approach God boldly through the Lord Jesus Christ. And the fact that God becomes a baby gives us a sign that goes right along with the angel's message. Do not be afraid. God chose to appear this way as one of us. So that rather than running from his holiness and fear like the shepherds, we could seek him out and understand that he is not here to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. It's John 3.17. That's why Christ came into the world, to save sinners. And so the picture of this baby in a manger says God is not here to condemn you. Maybe you live with guilt. Maybe you've made bad decisions. Maybe you begin to wonder as this year goes on and on, is God allowing this to happen because of our sin? And Maybe he is. We are not a guiltless society. We ought to fall on our knees and repent of our sins, of greed, and of the evil impurities that destroy so many people. But if you want to know what is God's attitude towards you as a person, well, the answer is, if you're hearing about Jesus, he's extending you an invitation to know him. He is allowing you an opportunity to repent of your sins and to be forgiven so that when Jesus returns, you greet him as Lord and you are full of joy at his second appearing. The message of this manger is that God is not here in wrath. 
He is here as a savior. And now is the time to trust in what he's done. So not only does the angel give them a message of fear not, not only does he give them this unmistakable sign, he shows us that God is a God who delights in showing his strength through weakness. One of the guys I was talking to this past week said, that, that reminds me of one of my favorite passages in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 1.27, which says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. See, you might not feel very strong right now. You might feel very weak, and that's fine. Because God delights when we, in our weakness, call on him and confess our need for him. Paul continues, he says, No human can boast in the presence of God. That's why God chose what is low and despised in the world, so that we can't boast in his presence. Here's the thing. In Corinthians, Paul is talking about the cross of Jesus Christ. So we, we look for saviors that are strong, that can give us what we want. And so if you're looking for someone to rescue you, you're probably not going to look for a savior who gets executed publicly. It, it's, it's a bad fit. You, you feel like the movement probably ends with his public execution. But Paul says, God chose to save us this way so that we understand it's not our strength that saves us. It's not our ability to win arguments or to be smart or to be beautiful or to be strong or to be healthy or wealthy or any of those things, God chooses the weak things in this world to shame the wise so that at the end of the day, we are full of praise for the God who delights to show mercy to those who admit they need him. That's the message of a baby in a manger. It's the message of the cross. Acknowledging that you and I need God. And that our need is so deep, it demanded the death of Jesus Christ. When you come to faith in Christ, what you are saying is, my sin has separated me from God, and I deserve the execution that Jesus took for me. That's not a popular message today. In fact, just like what Paul says in Corinthians... That's a message that many people will scoff at. Many people will reject. So many people want to say, you're good and beautiful just the way you are. No matter how many people you hurt. No matter how many evil things that you do. Just, you're good and beautiful just the way you are. The message of the cross is, you deserve to die for who you are. And Jesus Christ died in your place. So believe in him. Rest in him. And when you understand that that is why you don't need to fear, that your sins have been forgiven, it will fill you with a kind of rejoicing with great joy. So go back with me to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2. Let's see what happens when the shepherds have seen the baby that the Lord told them about. Starting in verse 17. It says, and when they saw it, when the shepherds saw the baby and the holy family, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen 
as it had been told them. Now, again, we don't know how much the shepherds knew. We don't know if they were so familiar with the prophecies of Isaiah that they understood that the Savior would bear the sins of God's people. All we know is they heard a message of God that said, Unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. They would have understood this is the Messiah, but we don't know. There was so much confusion over what the Messiah would have been like. We don't know for sure they understood everything, but what they did was they saw that God told the truth. When they followed the sign, they looked for a manger. We have no, I mean, they're shepherds. Maybe they knew where every manger in Bethlehem was. I have no idea. When they found a manger with a baby in it, they went, oh, that's got to be it. And they were filled with joy because they believed everything that the angel had told them. This Savior was going to be the Savior of all God's people. And so my invitation to you is to do the same thing that the shepherds did. Maybe you've heard this message a thousand times, but maybe in your heart and even in this year, you've begun to wonder, is God really a God that has come into the world as a savior? Because this doesn't feel like salvation. This feels hard and disappointing and like it's never going to end. And my invitation to you is to recognize that God is keeping his promises and he will keep all of his promises. And so if you rest in the fact that Christ has died for your sins and been raised from the dead, and not only that, but he's put his spirit in you so that even if you are stuck at home streaming this by yourself, you are never alone because God Almighty has put his spirit in you if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your savior. Rest in the fact that God is faithful to do all that he promises. Not only has he forgiven your sins and given you his spirit, he is coming again. And when Christ comes again, there will be no criticizing his leadership because it's perfect and good. The hope of Christianity is that Jesus is coming back and God will keep all of his promises. And if that grips your heart, even in 2020, You can celebrate Christmas in a way that is good and beautiful. And I don't care if your family gathers or if your family is choosing, you know, we've got to stay away, we've got to social distance, whatever. I don't want to get into that fight now. What I want to do is say, no matter what you do, you can have real, tangible joy. The way the shepherds showed their joy was they told everyone that they heard. We saw an angel. He told us something crazy. And then it happened. God is here. God has sent a Savior. And their joy could not be contained. They had to tell everyone they knew. And so I want to invite you to a kind of public joy. And I think so many of the things that we do as part of traditional Christmas celebration are right and good if they come from a place of rejoicing in what God has done for us. Eating good food is a great way to celebrate the goodness of God. Whether it's cookies or fudge or eggnog, 
I don't care what, but recognizing God is doing sweet and beautiful things among us. So let's celebrate that goodness with some good food that reminds us that God is good. Maybe you're going to wear some clothes that celebrate the season that are festive, that will make your small children kind of giggle a little bit. That's good. That's healthy. Lead in joyful celebration. Maybe you're going to sing some songs, and even if you're alone, I would encourage you, crack open a hymnal, put on a CD, or even just turn on the radio. Sing some songs that are full of joy. And if your heart is struggling to be joyful, here's what I would do. Remember what's true. Remember what God has said. God is a Savior who loves you. Rest in what's true. And then as you rest in that, maybe you need to confess the fact, like, Father, I ought to be full of joy because of what you've already done, because I know your word, that you've promised to be a Savior, and yet I'm not. In fact, I'm discouraged, and and I don't want to question your goodness right now. Just confess that as sin because it is, and then begin to celebrate God's goodness. And eat some fudge to the glory of God. Recognize that as you have that heart battle, begin to walk in obedience. Now, I'm not saying that you have to eat fudge or you're disobedient. Please don't misunderstand that. But I am saying that you ought to be full of a kind of joy in this season, even if it's a battle to have joy. And maybe you can't eat sweet things, and that's fine. I'm sorry for you. I'm going to try not to sin in the way that I enjoy sweet things this season. Hopefully it's a legitimate act of worship and my heart is right with God and I'm going to say, God, you are so good. Thank you for this cookie. But also, worship God through prayer, both privately and if you live with other people, with other people. Spend some time talking to the God who sent his son into the world to save sinners who chose to work in this beautiful, incredible way. And maybe you're saying, man, I've never prayed in front of other people before. It doesn't have to be complicated. It can be super short. It can be as simple as, Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Amen. It doesn't have to be long. But worship the Lord by pausing to recognize He is the reason we celebrate this season. So spend some time rejoicing in prayer say thank you to him and if if you are able be generous not only with your family but with strangers and with your community I I do want to say a huge thank you I, I meant to do this in announcements but it's appropriate now too so many of you have been generous in the different ways that our church tries to serve our community in this season uh, with Operation Appreciation, with the different churches that have partnered to give gifts to our local nurses at Genesis and McLaren and Hurley. So many of you donated food and wrote thank you cards. And I want to say thank you because you are already doing the things that I'm talking about here. So many of you have chosen to buy Christmas presents for people in our community that need the help. Many of you have given gifts throughout this season as an act of generosity and joy And so I want to encourage you, don't let that be a meaningless tradition. Let it be something that you do because God has been so generous with you and it has created generosity in your heart so you love giving good gifts to your kids and to your community and to the people around you. If your heart is struggling with joy, what I want to suggest is when you begin 
to trust the promises of God, to confess your sin and your struggle and to ask for help. And in that place of faith where you're trusting in the promises of God and you begin to walk in obedience and you give a gift, even if your heart's not fully there yet, what you may find is that your joy begins to rise. I'm going to be real honest. Sometimes, especially in this season, that's full of insanity and busyness, and I'm trying to do more than I probably should in many ways, when I'm asked to do something, and and I don't want to be too specific because I don't want anybody to know that I was mad at them, but when I'm asked to do something, and it's like one more thing, my first reaction is not, yes, another opportunity to love people. My first reaction is, I'm tired. I was hoping to go home and, you know, fill in the blank, sit on the couch sometimes. And so I do this. I confess my sin to God. God, my heart is is not where it should be as I go do this thing, serve in this ministry. Father, would you forgive me? I literally did this while I was driving this week. Father, would you forgive me for having a, a grouchy heart as I'm supposed to be in ministry that should be full of joy? Father, I'm going to do this thing that I don't honestly want to do right now. Would you go with me? And would you give me a kind of joy so that I don't do this as a disgruntled son just trying to do duty, but instead I do it from a place of joy, wanting to show people the joy that comes from knowing you. And I can tell you that God and his faithfulness will help you. Now, some of you are never going to be like a jolly old Saint Nick, and that's fine. That's not what I'm talking about. What I am talking about is having a kind of joy that comes from knowing what God began doing at Christmas so that you can rejoice with great joy. As I close, I want to say I've addressed most of this message to believers. You already know the Lord Jesus, and and so you're just struggling in this crazy year like so many other people are to have real joy. It's my prayer that as you hear this and understand God's goodness again, that you would be filled with that kind of joy, that your celebration this week would be rich. But maybe you don't know the Lord Jesus, and so I want to take just a second at the end of this message to say that if you're not sure that your sins are forgiven, if you're not resting in the love of God for you, then recognize what the scripture says, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can call out to him in prayer, and I would urge you, if you pray that, to follow up with obedience and be baptized Don't let your faith be private, but follow the command of Jesus and publicly profess that Jesus is Lord and you are trusting in him for the forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life. And if you need to do that, if you're here in person, you can talk to me today after this service. If you're not, you can connect through our website. Go to fbcholly.org. There's a little link that you can contact us and I will follow up with you this week, maybe even today. I want to urge you, trust in Jesus and know that your sins are forgiven and be filled with joy. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I thank you and I praise you for the mercy that you have extended to me and to all of us 
who are guilty before you, that you so loved us, that you sent your Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Father, I pray that that eternal life would fill us with a joy and rejoicing in this season, so that no matter what comes in the coming days, weeks, months, year, we would have a joy that cannot be taken because we know you. Father, this won't happen in our own strength. And so we call on you. We are desperate for you. We need you, Lord. Knowing that in your goodness, you love to give the Holy Spirit. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.